I'm Pastor Mike Landsman, and you're listening to the podcast for Zion Stone United Church of Christ in Northampton, Pennsylvania, taken from my Sunday sermons. During these times of uncertainty as the coronavirus continues to spread, I pray that the peace of the Holy Spirit would be with you and your family. Here's what we have for today. So Lord, we ask that you illuminate our hearts with the pure light of your divine knowledge, open the eyes of our mind to the understanding of your gospel teachings, implant in us also a fear of your blessed commandments, that trampling down all carnal desires may enter upon a spiritual manner of living, both thinking and doing such things that are pleasing unto thee. For you are the illumination of our souls and bodies, Christ our God, and we give you glory together with your Father who is from everlasting and your all holy good and life-giving spirit. Amen. When I was living in Easton a few years ago, right before Shantae and I got married, I lived uh, near a trail uh, that ran along a small river past the old Crayola factory. There's part of the old factory that they had made into apartments, and then there was more of the factory kind of down the trail. It was turned into like a running path and a park, and I used to run there uh, a few days a week. And one day I had a terrifying experience. And I'll never forget this. When I started out, the weather was pleasant. Like, it was a nice day. And uh, there was a turnaround point that I used to run to, like a distance marker. And so after running to that distance marker, I turned around. And uh, as I got to the distance marker, like, the weather still looked okay. It was just a little, a little cloudy here, but nothing too, too out of the ordinary. After I reached that halfway point, I turned around. And as I headed back, something really strange happened. The weather out of nowhere turned completely. It started to rain really hard. And not the rain that comes like straight down. We're talking the rain that hits you sideways. That kind of rain. And the wind picked up out of nowhere. It was the freakiest thing I've ever seen in my life. One moment, the weather was, was fine. The next minute, it was almost like I was in the middle of a a mini tornado. And the wind was blowing so hard the branches were falling from the trees right in front of me as I was running. And you know when something like that's happening, you're like you're not walking slowly, there's no shelter either, right? There's no, no little cave I could duck into, no little like hut or something I could kind of sit in and wait until like the, the, everything passed. There was nothing there. Uh, and so I had no choice but to just keep running as branches were falling in front of me and as the rain was hitting me sideways and the wind was picking up everything, it was, I was terrified, absolutely terrified. And then after a few minutes, it ended almost as quickly as, as it began. And uh, as I got to my car, soaked completely through, <laughs> I just had to sit down and obviously catch my breath because I'd, I'd run, <laughs> run back there. It was terrifying. Being caught in the middle of that storm was terrifying because I had nowhere to go. I had nowhere to hide. I had nothing, no choice, like nothing I could do. I just had to run through it till I got to that one place of safety I knew I could, I could get in, in my, in my car. But by the time I got to my car, it had ended. And that sense of fear, you know, it was, was palpable. And I, and I was, as I was running, obviously praying, right? Like, hey, Lord, I'm getting married soon. It would really suck if some of these giant branches fell off the trees and killed me <laughs> right before I could get married. That would, not be, that would not be nice. And right now, brothers and sisters, it feels like we're all in one of those storms, both personally and as 
a country. You know, many of us during this time with the coronavirus, it, it may feel like you're in the middle of a storm in the middle of the ocean with the winds and the waves are really high, or you're like me jogging, jogging along a path with this crazy wind just picking up out of nowhere with no end in sight, nowhere to go. People that we know and love have passed away. People in this congregation that we know and love have passed away. And in our country right now, tensions are at an all-time high. It's almost as if we've reached a boiling point, so much so that violent rioting has been a feature on the nightly news with local governments unwilling to take stances to, to mitigate it and to mitigate the damage. And there's plenty of blame to go around for the tensions in our country on all sides. But as Christians, right, I'm assuming if you're watching me on this, you're either a Christian or you're interested in the Christian faith, but as Christians, we're not the first, this isn't the first time we've been thrust into a storm not of our choosing. And it's not going to be the last. And one thing that we can be sure of, though, even in the middle of whatever storm we find ourselves, the one thing that cannot be taken away from us, the one thing that we can never lose, is the love that Christ has for us. So when we read the, the, the reading from, from, from Romans, it's a large portion, so I'm going to focus more on, on the latter part of it. But, I mean, there's a lot we could, we could say here. Um, we, could spend, we could spend a lot of time in Romans 8. Um, I remember when I was in Bible college, one of our, our teachers, he actually made us memorize uh, Romans 8 from the King James Version. Uh, and that was kind of part of our homework assignments. We had to be able to recite it uh, by the end of the, the class. But a well-known uh, chapter. And in Romans 8, there's a lot of quotables, you know, really cool things that would make for good Christian bumper stickers or on mugs or t-shirts. You know, one of the most well-known and well-quoted chapters of the Bible, and incorrectly quoted, if I might add, given uh, some of the things that it says, particularly, you know, the all things work together, right? We heard that one, you know, all things work together for good. So sometimes when somebody's in the middle of a bad situation, hey, it's okay, it's all gonna be good. Don't worry about it. Uh, not quite what it's going on there. Not, not quite what that means, you know, that it's everything is going to come around in your favor. And on top of that, the part that says, if God is for us, who can be against us? Now, we like that one. That's a verse we like right away. In some preaching, you might hear this presented along the lines of, God is for me. Yeah, that's awesome. So if God is for me, then that means that all of my dreams, all of my desires, all of my wishes are fulfillable because God is on my side. All the choices that I make, everything that I do, God is on my side. And if God is on my side, that he's going to make sure nothing or no one can ever come between me and my God-given dreams or my destiny. So haters, you're going to be swept out of the way. Well, what about if your haters are people who are actually bringing valid and needed criticism? What if haters are people God has placed in your life to stop you from making and doing stupid things which will wreck your life? 
right? The purpose that all things are working for the good for are not your purposes or what you think are your purposes. The things that God is working for the good are according to his purpose, right? So the story that we just heard read about, about Jacob and Leah and Jacob and Rachel what must have been a really awkward marriage. God didn't, God worked that out according to God's purposes, according to God's purposes. And Jacob kind of got what was coming to him too. After a lifetime of deceit, he has the nerve to say to Laban, why have you tricked me? And you're like, really, Jacob? Like, that's literally the meaning of your name, like trickster. <laughs> you know, what's, what's, what's the deal here? Uh, pot kettle, you know? But this idea, if God is on my side, nothing can stop my dreams. You know, this, this misses the point completely, though. Because St. Paul is getting at something much deeper here and far more important here. And so to summarize quickly, you know, a few days, a few weeks ago, you know, we dealt with flesh and spirit, we, and we see this in Romans 8 a lot, and we talked about that, so we won't touch on it so much today. And we should keep in mind here that those who have the spirit belong to Christ. And if the spirit dwells in us, we will be recipients of life from death. And we are heirs because we are adopted children of God. And if we are heirs, then he says we can call God Father. We call God Father. Because calling God Father is something that the spirit who dwells in us enables us to say, to lay claim hold of, right? Which is why we don't call God mother, right? We know scripture talks about God and uses female examples. Excellent, yes, absolutely, and we affirm that. But when we pray, when we address God, God is father because the spirit enables us to lay claim to that because we are adopted into the father's family thus becoming heirs of what the Father will give us. Our calling God Father is a witness that we are indeed children of God. And he moves on from there to all of creation groaning together for the revealing of the sons of God, the glory that is to be revealed in us at the resurrection. And all creation and all humanity have been captive to sin and death and creation itself is awaiting its own redemption that it sees having begun in us first. And it says the spirit prays within us, you know, with groanings that cannot be uttered when we don't have the right words. And this is not brothers and sisters, our Pentecostal brothers and sisters, they see this as, you know, praying in tongues, but that's not what that's talking about here, because if you're praying in tongues, according to that, like kind of that theology, what are you actually doing? You're speaking words, right? The Spirit prays for us with groanings that St. Paul says cannot be uttered. So it's not us praying or the Spirit kind of controlling us and, and speaking a heavenly tongue. The Spirit is praying within us even when we don't realize it, right? And there's kind of a link here, too. The Spirit prays within us with groanings which we cannot utter. And then what we see here as well, as we'll get to a little bit later, is that Christ is on the right hand of the Father interceding for us, right? Almost as if the Spirit and the Son and the Father are all interconnected somehow in our relationship. And Paul goes on to say, those God foreknew, they will be justified and glorified. 
And so now we move into the part we're going to focus on. If God is for us, who can be against us? So God is for us in that he has adopted us, that God has given us his spirit, that God has made us heirs of eternal life, that those who have received that gift will be glorified, right? So that's how God is for us. If God is for us, who can be against us? God is also for us as shown in the giving of his own son, Jesus Christ, right? And we talked about this when we did the Abraham story. Abraham was asked to give up Isaac. He didn't have to when it came down to it and that God stopped him, but unlike Abraham, God goes all the way for us in that Christ's death justifies us. So if we are justified, if we are made right before God, then no one can accuse us before God. And brothers and sisters, when we talk about justification and the great gift of being justified, we're not just talking about a transaction, right? We're not just talking about a legal declaration where God just says you're righteous, but nothing actually happens to you. It's justification is the gift given to us by God through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, right? Something actually happens to us. It's not some, we're not just declared righteous. We are actually made. We are transformed. We have become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. So, if we have been justified before God, if we have been transformed, if we have been made right, if we have been declared righteous before God, then no one can accuse us before God. And I believe St. Paul has Satan in view here because in the Old Testament, the role of Satan, and the, you know, if you translate Satan, what does that mean? Accuser. The accuser. It was Satan's job, so to speak, to accuse people before God. And you think to yourself, that doesn't, really? Yeah, remember, think about your Old Testament lessons, right? Where do we see this actually being played out in Scripture as an example for us? The book of Job. The book of Job. And what does Job go through? He goes through a really bad storm. <laughs> You'll probably say more than a storm. You say the, you know, like, uh, the highest category hurricane there is, or the category five or something like that. That's what happens to Job. But at the beginning of Job, Job is minding his own business, you know, and, and God is sitting there in heaven with the divine council, and Satan, as the accuser, is a member of what's called the divine council. This is Old Testament uh, theology that we don't have time to get into today. And God's like, I'm really impressed with that guy, Job. He fears me. He doesn't do evil. He doesn't sin with his lips. He's an all-around good dude. Takes his relationship with me seriously, <laughs> you know. And Satan goes, oh, Yeah. Take away everything he has, and he'll deny you. That's that role, right? Accusing, bringing accusation to God, which then starts the whole story in Job. And at the end of Job, God's answer to all of that is theophany. God appears. And the questions that Job has, what are they in the light of the infinite and eternal God who's created and sustains all things? But unlike Job, who looks forward to seeing his Redeemer, the Redeemer has been given to us. So not only that, but Jesus, our Redeemer, he intercedes for us at the right hand of the Father. Now, this doesn't mean, brothers and sisters, that the Father is sitting there with his bristly old man beard, like clutching the edges of his throne and, and really waiting for somebody to mess up, 
right? He's not looking up there saying, oh, that Mike Landsman, <laughs> oh, I can't wait, I'm gonna throw a lightning bolt on him. He said he was mean to his wife. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna take this lightning bolt, oh, and just as he's about to throw it down at me for being mean to my wife and sinning in that way, Jesus says, grabs his arm and says, no, don't do it, don't do it. Remember, remember I died for him and he accepted me, right? So don't throw that lightning bolt down on him. That's not what this means, right? God isn't just looking for an excuse to rain down punishment upon us. God loves us, right? Jesus is interceding for us on our behalf at the hand of the Father. Not that the Father is sitting there eager to dole out judgment. It's that Christ prays for us. Christ, we know, was one of us. Well, not even was one of us, is one of us, right? Because when Christ ascends into heaven... He doesn't just throw off his human body somewhere. No, that gets, I know, mind blown, right? So if no one can bring an accusation against those whom God has justified and adopted, then that means nothing then can separate us from the love of God. And we see that list, right? And the early Christian exegete origin notes that the first group is made up of human temptations and what we struggle with, and the second list are what he calls superhuman trials. You know, because you have a list, and then you have a quotation from the psalm, and then you kind of have another list, and then St. Paul concludes with nothing can separate us from the love of God. So in that first list, which I'll just briefly say, he goes... Tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, or sword, right? So those are all kind of things that, that, that speak to our present physical condition, right? Life on this earth, things that we, some things that we need, like we need food. You know, we would like to be prosperous. We would like to dwell in safety, but that's not going to happen all the time. And we talk about tribulation, St. John Chrysostom notes that a single word covers, like he, tribulations here, covers oceans of dangers and reveals to us all the evils people encounter in life, right? So St. Paul here lists a bevy of things that directly come into conflict with our desire for prosperity, our desire for peace, and our desire for safety. And persecution was a very real thing for the early Christians, not so much at the time of St. Paul. They, they were being persecuted, but not by necessarily yet by the Roman authorities, which is going to happen a lot later, but we have to remember to be a Christian back then, you were essentially severing ties with every, your culture all around you, because we have to remember that unlike today, right, the secular and the sacred, or the sacred and the profane, if you want to use that language, they weren't two things that were separated. Everything was kind of bound in together, so religion and society and law, that was all, it was all bound together. So to no longer worship the gods, was be, you would be seen as a bad citizen, and even as atheists, Christians were considered atheists by the Romans. But so persecution increases. And in our own day and time, persecution continues to, to be a very real thing for Christians. I'm thinking of places like Nigeria, where Islamic militants are routinely massacring Christians with little to no reporting by Western media. This goes largely unreported, but Christians are being slaughtered in countries like Nigeria. The danger of the sword is a lived reality to this day for many Christians. And I'm thinking as well now that the, 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 the nation of, of, of Turkey, 
know, became a secular Islamic state. And now it's sort of looks like it's reversing that. You know, the, you had the, the most beautiful church of the Eastern Empire, the Hagia Sophia, the Church of Holy Wisdom, that was constructed thousand plus years ago, was a church. And then when the city was eventually taken over by the Turks, it was converted into a mosque. And then when Turkey as a nation became a secular state, it became a museum, which would be open then for all. But now what's just happened this week is that the Turkish president said no. In, in, in light of international opposition, you know, from the UN, it was a UN World Heritage Site, the Turkish president said no, it's now going to become a, uh, a mosque again. And one of the first sermons that was preached in that mosque, the imam was holding a sword. Right, so the, this, the danger of the sword is a lived reality to this day for many Christians, and tensions are high there in the city because some Christians are thinking, well, what's going to happen? And in many ways, we in the Western world, we live in danger of the metaphorical sword of disagreement, right? Sometimes to, to disagree is to be seen as an act of oppression. But in, in spite of all that, the balm that we hear, the balm that we have in this is that Christ's love is triumphant. And I'm hoping that this is an encouraging sermon this morning and not like a bummer of a sermon because St. Paul says we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. And St. Paul says, you know, just as Jesus suffered, we too, but like Jesus rose from death, suffering will not have the last word. St. Basil says he conquers who does not yield to those who lead on by force, but he is more than a conqueror who voluntarily invites sorrow for a demonstration of endurance. And, and we can do that. We can do all things through Christ who gives us strength, right? That doesn't mean that God's going to help you do the high jump better than anybody else. Or when you come out as a boxer, God's going to give you, you know, he's going to, um, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, so I'm going to knock this guy out in 30 seconds and set a new world record. That's not what that's talking about, right? Not only that, but like I said a few weeks ago, Christ has already won the victory for us, right? He won it for us in advance, Right? And then after we have won this victory in advance, we are then placed into our, the battles of our daily life already as victors. Not only that, but the spiritual forces of evil cannot separate us from Christ's love. Right? We talked about the material, the physical. Now we get to the spiritual, right? because there is more to reality than just what we can see with our eyes and taste with our mouth and hear with our ears. There is a spiritual world all around us. And there are evil spiritual forces. St. Paul calls them the powers. Not even those evil spiritual forces can separate us from Christ's love. Right? He says, angels nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come. Right? So the past, the future, nor powers. Right? Evil spiritual forces, height or depth, or anything in creation. Nothing can separate us from the love of God. Not even death. Not even death. Scripture says in Colossians 2.15, St. Paul says, He, Christ, disarmed the rulers and the authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. So, brothers and sisters, in light of this precious gift that God has bestowed on us through our Lord Jesus, we can be encouraged, right, that, that 
no matter who wins the election in November, nothing can separate you from the love of God. No matter if the violence in our country goes up or goes down, nothing can separate you from the love of God. If someone drags something you said 20 years ago to try and get you fired from a job today, you cannot be separated from the love of God. If you've suffered persecution at school or in the workplace for holding fast to Christ, if you've taken a stand for Christ somewhere in the public square, you could get canceled, but no one can cancel Christ's love for you. Since we are heirs of Christ, we are united with him. Then nothing can separate us from him. And in this time of hellish uncertainty, when we don't know who to listen to or who we can trust, know that we can trust in Jesus Christ. We can trust that even if we have to suffer for Christ, we already have the victory because death cannot separate us from God's love. And this should give us freedom, brothers and sisters, but not freedom to be jerks, to do or say whatever we want about anything we want. Right? This freedom is that we follow Jesus right, as we strive to keep his commandments and to train ourselves and our families in those commandments as we try to live Christianly in a culture increasingly hostile to a Christianity that hasn't adopted its values. And even in all that, Christ is with us. And that can never be taken from us. Even as St. Paul quoting the psalmist, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. Storms will rise up, the wind will wail, the water will crash, branches will fall into your running path. Friends and family might get sick and pass away. You might get sick yourself. Bad things may happen to us. Our culture may be more and more hostile to our faith because we refuse to adopt its values. In the middle of all of that, Christ is with us. Christ is with us. And one day, the sea will be calm. The sideways rain that pelts us, that scares us, will be gone. Right? And we will find safe haven, not in our cars, but we will find safe haven with the risen and returned Christ. And everything will be put to right. Everything that is wrong in our world will be repaired creation itself will be renewed the groaning that it does now <laughs> right it will bear fruit it will bear fruit so brothers and sisters in this time of fear and uncertainty be hopefully encouraged that there is nothing that can separate you from the love of jesus christ as we strive to follow him to serve him and to obey his commandments and to show his love to one another and to our world and so to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, be all glory together with the Father who is from everlasting and is all holy good and life-creating spirit. Amen. Thanks for listening to the podcast. If anyone listening is in the area here in Northampton and in need of help or food or supplies, please reach out and let us know through private message on our Facebook page, Zionstone UCC, or through our website, zionstoneucc.com. To all who have given and continue to support us during the closing of the church during the coronavirus, thank you so much for your love. And may the blessing of God Almighty, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit be among you and remain with you always. Amen.